Oh, good morning. Am I on? Can you hear me? Awesome. Oh, it's a frosty morning, isn't it? People, are, some people aren't here. They're still in bed. <laughs> well, all right. Let's get straight. Oh, we'll just get straight into it. I think. I just get a glass of water. Sorry. Yep. Thanks. Cool, yeah, well, my title is Stand Firm in the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And uh, that word unsearchable, I'll get to that. It's uh, quite an interesting word that Paul uses, actually. It's out of a scripture, and I will get to that. But as we've been hearing, like this morning and last week and the week before, we've been hearing this theme that's going around, God is good. All, All the time. I'll try that again. This time I want everyone to say it. God is good. Nice, better. Yeah, get a bit more fight in you, eh? Come on. What kind of Christian are we? Are we the dull Christians or are we the ones that are radical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got to be radical, eh? Especially in these times. There's no, no time now to be fluffy and, and do nothing. We've got to do something now. It's crunch time, eh? You know, if I'm going to be honest with you, the world's actually on fire right now. There's so much going on, but that's not where our focus is now. You know, it's like Israel. You just think about Israel. How many times did they come to God and moved away from God? You know, the only time they ever went back to God, they turned around, is when things got so bad. We're heading into that territory right now. We're coming to, everyone's coming to a crunch time now where they're going to decide. We're all going to have a choice now. Every single one on this planet is going to have a choice. It's either God's way or the world's way, which is the devil's way. That's it. We are coming to crunch time. But I want, you know, I want to remind everyone God is good. That's all right. His depths of his goodness. Do you even know how far it goes? It's boundless. There's no end to his goodness. There's no end to his love, his mercy, his grace. He's continually pouring it out. What Christians have got to realize, he does this to empower us. He knows we need it continually because of the things we go through in life. You know, don't be mistaken, you know, just because you're a Christian, you think life's going to be cruisy. Well, it's the opposite. You know, Jesus says the world will hate you because they hate me. Okay, you you do get made fun of. I've had it. I still get it. I still have a friend of mine barely a friend of mine sometimes because he does make fun of it he does it's it's i find it annoying but there's no point getting into an argument you just got to sit there and go okay whatever that's your choice but it ain't going to determine my position see god has empowered us to stand firm on the victory he won for us not us it's his victory God worked out the whole plan of salvation, every little detail, everything he thought of, what we would need, he supplied us to walk through a Christian life on earth. It's a completed work, it's a finished work, and it's gifted out of his grace. It's a gift. It's given. So then why do we need to stand firm then, if the victory's won? Well, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6, which is the spiritual warfare passage. Yes, there is spiritual warfare. There always has been. We do have an opponent. We need to wake up to that. I know some people get annoyed when they go, oh no, we're talking about the devil again. So what? You've got to know who your enemy is. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. Come on. What's he saying there? He says, don't be stupid. You can be shrewd. You can be onto it, but you're harmless. We don't get pushed around. We don't need to have tolerance. That's not gone very well for the world and the church. I watched a video of the day of this minister who said, pronoun God. That is not God. This is a minister in a church with the rainbow flags everywhere and says, right, God is neither a man or woman, he is a pronoun God. And they, she wrote up this prayer that doesn't even line up with the word and got everyone confessing it. And I was just 
like, oh my gosh, your Bible's right in front of you, but you're declaring a statement completely opposite to God. Tolerance. Sorry, at time of tolerance is done. When it comes to the things of God, we do not compromise the things of God. Don't care what they think. They can call me as many names as I want. I'm standing my ground. Who's with me? We've got to stand firm in the victory. So, it's spiritual warfare, and Paul explains our role in this, that there is an enemy, the devil, and he will try and get, get you off the ground that was won for you. That's his job. This is spiritual warfare, and it's important we understand this so that we can live in the blessings given to us. So my main inspiration for this is actually the book of Ephesians. Ephesians really explains all of this in two, two topics. Paul talks about, in the first few chapters, it all talks, Paul talks about is everything God has done for us, what he's won for us. You go to the last chapter, chapter 6, and it's spiritual warfare. So let's get straight into it. So we'll go to Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness, darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand... Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's a call to arms from Paul. See, Christian warfare is not about going out and take, conquering new ground in relation to what God has done. I'm not talking about conquering new ground in education and, and the seven mountains. Yes, that's definitely what we're going to do, but if you can't stand firm in what God has done for you, how are you expected to do that? Because every time you tempt that, you just get shut down. You need to be strong in what God has done for us. When we're strong... Watch out what happens. We function the way we're meant to function. It's about standing firm in it. It's about refusing to give way when we face opposition. And we all face opposition in a variety of ways. You know, in military terms, stand firm means to hold one's ground. Hold no matter what. Steko is how the word is rendered in Greek, and it gives the same meaning. To stand firm in faith, duty, to be constant, to persevere, to remain steadfast, and continue in that state. I'm not making this stuff up, eh? Paul said this. The guy who wrote, you know, the revelation of grace and redemption. He says all that, but we've got to stand in it. So let's take a look at the first line of that scripture that Paul says in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Finally. Finally. This is Paul summing it up after he's just told us everything God has done for us. Now he says, finally. It's important he's used that word. Summing it up, drawing things to conclusion. He wants us to know absolutely what our role in all of this is. The next word he uses, be strong. In the context, what he was saying is keep on being strong. Keep on being empowered. Because the strength that's been talked about here is not our strength. It talks about the strength in his might. So let's take a look. So the word strength in Greek actually means kratos, which is never used to describe human strength. It has nothing to do with human. You go look up Kratos and it's describing a godlike strength. 
Kratos speaks of the permanently effective power of God to accomplish everything he wants to do. So we, yeah, everything he wants to do. So we are to be strong in the unique power of God and in the strength of his might. The next word he uses is God's might. Might here portrays God's ability to accomplish everything necessary to bring his plans to fruition. So strength is his absolute power and might is his absolute ability. So it's in his absolute power and it's an absolute ability of God that we find our strength. This is what Paul is saying just in that first line. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Just that one, all of that in that one sentence. Are you with me? A bit quiet. This is good news. So we cannot do it in our own strength, eh? And there is a tendency for us to feel that we need to be strong, that we need to somehow develop some spiritual muscle that is ours, that comes from us. It just doesn't work like that. You'll fail every time. That's works. Trying to achieve something in God that wasn't done by God. He hasn't asked you to do that. He says, no, draw on my strength. I've given you everything you need to do. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. We've tried that. They tried that in the, in, under the law. They couldn't do it. They couldn't live up to the law. So what makes you think you can do it now? It's just something we tend to, it's something natural in us. We just tend to go that way. We need to program that out of ourselves. We need to learn to rely on God. We really do. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, verse 10, and this is Paul. And he says, and, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take up pleasure in, in infirmities and reapproaches and the needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I would rather boast in all my weaknesses, because at least then I know that I'll be strong. You know, I think there is a tendency for us also to take the responsibility of the fight. But actually, we have been fully equipped. And when we're standing firm, we're refusing to give ground back to the devil. It's not our responsibility. What our responsibility is to stand firm. The fight's already been won. We just got to stand firm. See, the ground has been won on our behalf by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in our own strength that we're expected to stand firm, eh? It's in God's strength in God's power and ability to accomplish everything that he has done on our behalf. Everything he has called us to do, he has equipped us for. Everything. We've just got to change our attitude and our thinking over it. Doesn't God make things actually quite easy? We don't have to do any of this stuff in our own strength. The problem is we've got to train ourselves to draw on his strength. I'll get to that. So by putting on the full armour of God, we'll be able to stand firm, is what Paul is saying. We are given God's dynamic spiritual power from God to stand against every lie of the devil. You know, putting on the whole armour is revelation, is knowledge. If you know that you were saved, that's your helmet of salvation. So when someone tells you or the devil tells you you're not saved, you go, whatever, I'm saved. It, it just bounces off you. That's your armour. That's what armour's for. Is it not? Armour's for your protection. It's to protect from the lies. It's like righteousness. If someone tells you or you get the feeling, I'm unworthy. Well, I've been talking about righteousness, so we should have a fair idea by now that I'm, it's the, the righteousness of God in me, how I can stand blamelessly and acceptable before my God. So anything outside of that's a lie. Deflects. You're standing firm. So what area are you struggling in? What area are you listening to lies to? Is it some of them? Is it all of them? Might need to rethink some things. 
2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. And Paul is saying this, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We are not unaware of his schemes and methods. We know how he works, and we should know how he works. Because his strategies are mostly around deception. Schemes of the devil can be translated as methods of the devil. And we know his methods. We all know his methods. We know he's a liar. We know how he works. I remember I've got a friend of mine who kind of reads the Bible. He's not saved. And it was a strange conversation because he was actually trying to defend the devil one day. He was trying to say he gets a bad rap. And I go, really? You know, Jesus says he comes to kill, destroy, and steal away. Oh, yeah. There's always someone trying to warp something, eh? Know who your enemy is. Know who he is. That's what Jesus said he's come to do. He says anything other than that is a lie. He does most of his lying by deceiving and making you have doubts. This is how he attacks us. He makes you questions in your mind about the character of God, about your place in God's heart, and the depth and truth of God's love for you. That's what I mean by righteousness. You know your place in God. So if you haven't got a reverend of righteousness, start getting one and, and, and study it. Meditate on it. Get that armour permanently on there. Why Paul says, put on the whole armour of God. We do have things to do as the body of Christ, eh? We are meant to be out there winning souls. We are meant to be standing firm. We are meant to be gaining knowledge. We are meant to be learning. That's why church is so important. Where else are you going to learn this stuff? If you, you know, I know there are some people who believe they don't need to go to church. Well, good luck to them. Because it ain't working out for them very well, I can tell you that. It's why you've got to be planted in a church. I've always believed that. If you're not planted, you'll never grow. The word is the water. How much are you doing outside of church? You'll only get what you put back in, eh? Are you studying at home? Are you praying always? It's just a reality check for all of us, really. If we're taking this thing seriously, these seats shouldn't be empty, eh? You know, every plan of the enemy and every method is malicious. It's bent towards the destruction of our lives, our peace, our joy, and our certainty and confidence in God. You know, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age. The key word here is wrestle. Wrestling. It's a contest. It's talked about here. It's close up and personal. It's not uh, fighting at a distance from a bow and arrow. It's face to face, shoulder to shoulder. It's up close and personal. The victory goes to the opponent that can hold the other opponent down. That's how it works. You give up, what do you think happens? You lose. The good thing about God is it doesn't matter how many times you lose, you can keep getting up and turn around. Because God's grace and his mercy and his love is boundless. See, the devil is out for victory and to gain the upper hand and to gain the upper hand. But we are empowered to overcome him every time. We need to stand on the ground that has been chosen for us by our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to understand this ground was chosen for us. To put it in perspective, I was, while I was doing this study, I was listening to a guy on this topic and he said one night God woke him up really early in the morning. He's a Scottish guy, actually, so this is why. And God told him to study a famous battle between Robert the Bruce and the English, King Edward II. And apparently it's a battle well-known in Scotland. But he said, no, really study it. And so he went on to say that, you know, Robert the Bruce was actually an inspirational leader. But anyway, he had a very small army compared to the English army. And the English army was coming up. They were well-equipped. They had the latest military hardware. They had the Welsh longbowmen who were, at that time were feared. 
He also, they also had a cavalry that was armoured, you know, with knights and the horse armoured. So they were virtually like tanks. They were feared. But Robert the Bruce knew who his enemy was. He knew their strengths, their tactics, their strategies. So what did he do? He chose the battleground. He manipulated it so that they had to fight their battle on the, the ground he chose. And the ground that he chose made it so that the, the cavalry couldn't function properly. It would bottleneck them. They weren't effective. And he chose it so well that the long bowmen couldn't fire their um, arrows because they were going to hit their own soldiers. He won the battle on chosen ground. God chose the ground for us. He's outwitted the devil. It's ground that cannot be defeated, is what my point is, is what God is trying to say. And Paul sets this out in Ephesians chapter 1, the battlefield that was chosen for us. It's ground he won on our behalf, and Paul says, stand firm in this. This is good ground, safe ground, and if you really take a stance, you'll overpower the enemy every time. Every time. You know, this ground is perfectly laid out for us. God has prepared it and sealed it. The devil cannot outwork God. All he can do is lie to us and try and get us to stumble. And we all stumble, if we're going to be honest. I do. Doesn't matter how, like I said before, doesn't matter how far you go in the rabbit hole, as long as you can turn around and face God, you're back on that ground within an instant. Within an instant. It's not like you have to do a whole lot of Bible reading to get there or a whole lot of praying. No, just turn back to God and you're straight there. Our God is good. He's made it this way for us. He knows us. He knows how we think. He knows the troubles we go through. He knows the struggles. He knows it's hard for some of us to get out of bed and come to church. Clearly. But you can still turn around. Very quiet. <laughs> See, the victory has been won. We are blessed beyond our comprehension. In fact, Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Ephesians 3, verse 8, Paul says, To me, who I am less and the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make see all what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. Now, I was reading this, I've read that scripture heaps. It never stuck out. But that word unsearchable just jumped right out in my face. And I started to look at that whole thing, what Paul was saying there. You know, it's quite clear that God gave Paul a special anointing and calling there, eh, to preach to the Gentiles. Because you've got to remember the Jews already have a grounded understanding about their father, how his blessings work, how the forgiveness of sins work. They could find it easy to understand. But the Gentiles, us, we don't know anything. So Paul got to preach the mysteries of Christ to the Gentiles. It's amazing. So we go back to that word, unsearchable, and I was thinking, that's a strange word to use. I don't quite know what that means there. So what does Paul mean by it? Well, the Greek word translated unsearchable describes something that cannot be fully comprehended or explored. In other words, there is no limit to the riches of Christ. You're not going to get to the bottom of it because it just keeps on going and going and going. No matter how much you try, you'll never find the limit. You'll never find the end. When you search for something, you eventually come to its end, don't you? Unsearchable means you'll never come to the end of it. That is how big our God is. Just take a moment to think about it. Because we often, as humans, we put God in a box all the time. It's time to take those walls off. You can't put God in a box. You can't think that's what God's going to do. You don't know what he's going to do. He's too big. You can't limit God. We've got to come to the conclusion. You've got to settle it within yourself that you don't know how big God is, and that's okay. 
let, let, it allows you to receive more from God when you think like that. Because when you put God in a box, you put rules and boundaries around him. Hey. So then you only receive within that box. We've got to explode that out. You know, Paul talks about some of these riches, if you want to look for it yourself, in Ephesians 1, 7 to 14. He talks about the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the knowledge of the mystery of his will, the message of truth, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and the guarantee of our inheritance. These are spiritual riches with eternal benefits, and we cannot fully comprehend them. You know, in Matthew 13, uh, verse 44 to 46, Jesus shares these very short parables. They're quite short, actually. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Like a hidden treasure, a pearl of great price, the admission to the kingdom is of incalculable worth. You cannot put a price on it. And it's Jesus Christ who grants the admission. You see, the unsearchable riches of Christ are on every single believer's heart. We carry it around. The unsearchable God, his depth, his love, his grace, his mercy, we carry it. It's on display in our hearts. Carry it. That's how much it costs God. You can't put a price on it. It cost him everything. His son, you couldn't put a price. We are worth that much to God that he can't even put a price on us. But he paid it with his own son. How much more valuable is Jesus if we're, we haven't even got an incalculable price, yet he paid it for us? Unreal. Not only did he pay the uncalculable price, he also blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He goes further. I'm not only going to save you, I'm going to bless you with everything I've got. Ephesians 1.3. We're finally at the beginning of Ephesians. Now this is Paul in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's interesting, I just want a little side note that blessed is used three times just in that one phrase. Do you know that's not actually a sentence? In the original text, from verse 3 to verse 14, that is one sentence, if you read that. That's Paul describing the goodness of God, what God has done for us. It was like Paul got on a roll and couldn't stop himself. He got so excited. Phrase after phrase after phrase. Beautifully constructed. Amazing. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word, blessed be the God, if you have other translations, I've noticed it says praise be to God, and it actually gives you the wrong impression. Because praise be to God gives you like an instruction that we are to bless God, and we are, don't get me wrong, but it's giving you the wrong impression of what Paul's trying to say here. The correct translation is blessed You see, it's a describing word. It's an adjective. The word blessed there is an adjective rather than an instruction. You get the, you get the idea of this structure in 1 Timothy 1.11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. You see, the word blessed is used to describe the being and person of God. That's what Paul opens the verse with. Blessed be. It's a declaration of the blessed nature of God. His character. You see, his, he attracts blessing to himself. He's like a magnet. 
He lives in a sphere of blessing. So doesn't that make sense that he's blessed us, so he attracts us to himself by blessing us? We're attractive to God because he's blessed us. That's the sphere we're meant to live in, in his sphere, not this one. So start confessing and get the idea in your head and your heart that you are blessed. And we serve a blessed God. God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He has left nothing undone. No stone unturned. There is nothing we lack. We lack nothing. Psalm 23 verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, depending on the translation, but it means the same thing. I really like King David. Eh? He, you could see he had a personal relationship. The way he confessed to God. Always confess the good things about God. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Philippines 4 verse 10 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now we just heard that they're unsearchable. So we're well looked after. We've got everything we need. We lack nothing. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1.3. We lack nothing. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Too many Christians aren't living the life of victory. And I think you find the main reason is they feel they lack something. I think we all experience that. We feel like we're lacking something. Something's missing. The reason we feel lack is actually not based on reality. It's, because, it's not because we lack anything. It's because we are not listening to God or we're listening to the lies. That's the only reason. See, the devil wants to convince us that we are weak and that God isn't really real for us, that God doesn't really care about your struggle, your situations that you're working through. How many times have we heard that in our heads when we're going through something? Where's God? Those are like the thoughts, you know. Where's God? Why isn't he helping you? Those are lies. It's the biggest set of lies piled on top of each other. And the effect of it is we feel unable to stand and even sometimes unwilling. That's the effect of it. I'm sure we've all been there. I've had times where I've been beaten down so much I just like, can't be bothered getting up. That's why you come to church. That's why you rub shoulders with fellowship with people because you need encouragement. We can't do it on our own. We're all on the same battlefield, right? When we see one fall down, we pick them up. Whether it be sin or anything. We pick them up. We don't judge them. We encourage them. How else does it work? You don't kick someone out. You help them. We've got to help each other. I need encouragement. Even Pastor Robin needs encouragement. Taka, even though Taka looks like she never needs it. <laughs> but you do, don't you, Taka? Yeah. I need it. <laughs> the truth is our God has blessed us completely. He has blessed us in an instant. The moment you got saved, that's it, blessed. Past tense. Stop asking for more blessing because you, you can't get any more. You are blessed. Start walking in it. He has declared... God himself has declared our lives blessed. You see, God translated us into a state of being continually blessed. We are under his constant blessing. He's the blessed Father. Your Heavenly Father will never stop blessing you. Never. Whatever your feelings might be telling you or whatever your situation is telling you, whatever your circumstance is telling you, He'll never stop loving you. He'll never stop blessing you because he's faithful. He is faithful to his word. His love is continually poured out on us. His concern for you is constant. 
And you know what? It doesn't come and go. It doesn't ebb and flow. It's constant. Our grasp of it is up and down. But that's us, because we struggle to grasp it. But God's love is constant. It doesn't ebb and flow. Never drops down one day, he decides, well, I don't really love you today that much. No, it's constant. It has to be, because that's the kind of God he is. Because remember, he's bigger than we realize. We don't know how God thinks. We get clues. We know what he says. We know what he declares. We know what he thinks of us. But we don't have the big picture like he does. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There isn't one type of blessing, one area of blessing that God has neglected to furnish us with on our behalf. He hasn't, he's thought of everything. He hasn't left one thing out. How amazing is that? So there's a really deep and strategic reason why Paul is instructing every believer to turn around from their setting and situation. We know that the word repentance means to turn around from sin or whatever it is that's hindering you, to turn around. You know that turn around, repentance, to turn around actually means to acknowledge God's ways better than yours? I acknowledge, Lord, your ways better than mine, and that way is behind me. Start doing that. You can be sorry you've messed up. That doesn't mean you acknowledge his ways better. It's good to be sorry. You've got to go a step further. You've actually got to admit that your way's wrong. <laughs> it doesn't work. Your way's far much better. He's set a path out for us. Yes, it's narrow, and we do fall off it, but we can come back on it. It's narrow for a reason, eh? I was thinking about this the other day. Because he says, why does the, the path of destruction? Because there's too many possibilities. Too many things can go wrong. But God's like, no, nah, I've made you one straight path. Here's it, right here. Stay in this lane and you'll be fine. You don't have to worry about anything. That's the ground we stand on. Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If only we could all talk like David, eh? This guy had his own battles. He was a man of war. But he stood firm. You can see where he stood firm in. He stood firm in God. He never lost a battle because he stood on God's battleground. He played by God's rules. He was different. You see, when we're in this warfare, we don't face the enemy, we face our Heavenly Father. And what that does, when we face our Heavenly Father, it creates a space around us, even in the middle of battle. And God fills that space with a feast on our behalf. Like he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Some translations use the word feast, it means the same thing. Now you would think that, why don't you deal, Lord, with the enemy first? Then we can sit down and have a feast. But that's not how God works. God is so confident that the victory that he has won on our behalf, that he will prepare a feast in the presence of your enemies. He's that confident. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care what the situation is going on there. I'm going to prepare a feast for you and we're going to fellowship. Of course the enemy is not happy to see you sitting there feasting in the presence of your heavenly father with your face pointed towards him and his face and his countenance pointed towards you. Can you see what's happening here? You're not even paying attention to the problems. The enemy, you're not even looking at it. You're looking at your solution right there. The enemy's not happy about it because they can't participate in it. This is a feast of salvation for you. We eat it, we share in the presence, and we eat it and we share in it in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of our struggles, in the presence of everything that's going on around me. We eat it among, despite all of that, knowing they're still there. But God's confidence is so deep and so internally strong 
that he says to keep your eyes on me and let's share in the feast together. Once we have fully satisfied one another through the fellowship that we, are, that we share, then, and when we are fully satisfied, then we deal with the enemy. Makes sense. You know? It makes perfect sense. You can tell how David operated, eh? God was first. Didn't matter what was going on in the battle, he always had time to sit down and feast with his God. And then they dealt with the enemy. Because you were empowered. You knew who you were. You've just spent time with the most holy God ever in the universe. The one that created everything. The most powerful being on ever. You've just sat and had a feast with them. What enemy can stand up against that? Thank you. Someone's listening. When we turn to face God and declare, Blessed Father, you know, something actually is released in our hearts. When we go, Blessed Father God, we release something. You open something up. The fellowship starts. It's like a portal, almost. Best way to maybe describe it. It's like suddenly heaven's open in front of you. Because now you're paying attention and you're not looking at your problems. See, the ground, is, the ground was won on our behalf, eh? It's never going to shift. It'll never shake or move because God's character is actually fixed for all eternity. It's not going to change. He will never, ever be diminished in his goodness, in his grace and faithfulness. Never be diminished, ever. You see, when we declare God's word, when we come to church and praise and worship and pray, and declare these things. This is us fighting the warfare. We push back against the doubts, the worries, the anxieties, and the fears. This is part of our warfare. We push back against the questions that can overwhelm us and, and, and you know, make us doubt. This is what engaging in Christian warfare looks like. So, I, you know, it is important we turn up to church on time so that we're all in unison, eh? We're all united together. Defeating and pushing back darkness by praying and worshipping. It's so important. It really is. I'm not having a go at anyone. We all turn up late. But at some point, we've really got to get that reverence back. This is almighty God. There is fear of the Lord. And that's where the reverence comes from. Because he's almighty, we don't know everything about him. There are times when we tremble before him. Because he's mighty. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. It almost keeps you in check a little bit. It almost reminds you the, the awesomeness and powerfulness of God. If you get too familiar with someone, hey, you don't take them seriously, do you? You're comfortable with them. We should never be comfortable like that. He's a holy, powerful God. He deserves the reverence. He really does. Up to you. No one can make you do it. We can just preach it. Paul says he has blessed us. You know, God speaks well of us. He has spoken well of us. He knows our weakness. He knows you 100% through and through. He knows every fibre of your being. Everything you have done, everything you're thinking, everything that you will do, everything that you will think, he knows what I'm going to think tomorrow. That's how awesome God is. He still speaks well of me. I don't know what I'm going to think tomorrow. I could get into a bad mood and road rage or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, as we spend more time with God, these things drop off us, don't they? Yeah, but he still speaks well of me. He still speaks well of you because that's our Father. He's a positive God. It's actually a testimony to his absolute sufficiency in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because why else would he have died? The Bible says that God made him, Jesus, to be sin. Him who knew no sin. Jesus, the internally perfect Son of God, God made him sin 
so that we through so that we might become the righteousness of God. Might hey, it's a funny word when he says that because it's a choice. He's a, he's done it for us, but it, the might there's like well, it's up to my people to to accept that, you know. It's that kind of transaction. There is a fullness and the depth of Christ. He is fully sufficient saviour, eh? In every aspect. He has completely transformed how God relates to you by clothing you fully complete in his own perfect righteousness. Full stop. That's pretty much my message, but um, I know we've got communion. Are we doing communion or... Yep. Um, before we do communion, I'd just like everyone just to close their eyes at the moment. You don't have to do this, it's a choice, but I think it would be good to do it. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever's the main thing that's holding you back in whatever area it is, whatever's bugging you, whatever, whatever you're going through, whatever struggle, opposition, whatever it is, I just want you to picture it right now. Just visualise that problem. Now I want you to visualise yourself putting your back to that problem and I want you to visualise holding your hands up and going, Blessed God! Blessed God! Now you should see his face, his presence. That's where we live. That's the ground you stand on. Just take a moment to dwell on that. Yeah, well, I think now's a good time to take uh, communion. I'll get everyone to come up and grab, grab one, please. Blessed Father. Oh man, communion's actually really awesome, eh? Oh, I just feel God's anointing right now. I just feel like he just really wants us to just really, really take this seriously at the moment. You know, Jesus says, can you turn that down a bit, Haley, please? Jesus said, 
to do this in remembrance of me, eh? How big of a thing did he just do for us? How thankful are we really are about it? He saved us from destruction. Man, he is, what a saviour. And all he asks in return is, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget what I've done for you. Because God, my Father, just paid a massive price for you. We thank you, blessed Father. We thank you for sending your Son. We thank you, Father, that you sacrificed him for us, Father, that you placed that much worth on us. We give you all the honour and glory, Jesus, our Commander, our Saviour. We thank you, Jesus, and we do this in remembrance. We take the bread and we remember that your body was beaten and broken on the cross for our body, for our healing, for our suffering. We recognise this and we take the bread. We take the cup representing your blood that was spilt for the remission of sins. We are internally grateful that you have restored us back to our true Father. We are truly grateful. We can't, we can't imagine the pain and suffering. You know that Jesus took on your sin? Can you imagine that? He took on every single person's sin. Everyone even people that weren't born then, even people in the future, it was all put on Jesus. All of it. We just give you all the honour and glory, Jesus, and we recognise and remember what you have done for us in Jesus' name. Cool. Well... If I want to open the front up. You know, if anyone wants prayer for anything, please come up and one of us will pray for you. And if, please just show a little bit of respect for those who are getting prayer. If you want to talk, please go out in the cafe. Let's just keep it nice and quiet. Otherwise, have a very good day and a good week. And I encourage you, go and learn about what Paul's talking about. Go and read Ephesians. It's not actually very long. It's six chapters. Just read it. Absorb it in. We can do, we're all in this together, eh? Let's go to another level. Let's make some real change in this community. In Jesus' name.